Hello, friends. This is Yolando. Kate and I are on vacation this week and are not recording our usual podcast conversation. However, we are excited to share with you a sermon preached by Kate on Pentecost Sunday. Enjoy. Friends, will you hear these words of Scripture? When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and all the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, we give you thanks for the gift of your spirit, which is far beyond our expectations or our understandings or even, Lord, of our desire. God, we pray that in this place, these wouldn't be words on a page or a day that we celebrate, 
but the reality that we live in. God, fill our minds with your wisdom and give our hearts the grace to trust you, to trust your goodness, to meet us right here where we are and tenderly lead us as as we are sheep and you are shepherd. Have your way in our hearts and in this place, Lord, all to the glory of your name. In that name we pray. Amen. I'm just going to confess to you right now that my favorite part of the week is getting to go to the library and read a bunch of big books about the scripture passage. And I did that this week, and I have like 15 pages of notes, and I'm not using any of them because yesterday morning the Lord gave me a different word. And it is not the word that you're supposed to hear on Pentecost. But I believe that it is the word that God has for us. And I think the key to understanding this day and being the people that we already are is understanding what God desires of us. It is amazing when you really think about what it is that God is asking of us. Because it is not what we expect. Our Jewish spiritual ancestors, every day they would say a prayer multiple times throughout the day. It was this culture-forming, identity-forming prayer, and it was called the Shema, which is the word, the first Hebrew word of the prayer it means here. Every day people would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and all your strength. What our God asks of us, what our God asks but cannot require is love. Love that is not freely given is not love. So this is what God can ask of us but not require of us. Our God asks for our love. Throughout human history and still today, humans have worshipped other gods, gods we've made in our own image. And those gods require very different things. In scripture, we read about them and their names and we don't recognize them. We read about people worshipping Moloch and Asherah and Baal and Timor and we think, oh, what, are, what are those people thinking? And those gods do not ask for love. Those gods ask for allegiance and they ask for sacrifice and pain and suffering. And we think, what were those people thinking about then? But we still worship those gods today, just under different names. We still worship the gods of violence who demand blood sacrifice in exchange for safety. We still worship the god of money which demands our time and our identity and forsaking all other relationships. We still worship the gods of lust that require our flesh and our relationships with other people. We still worship gods of power that forbid connection and vulnerability and weakness and ban self-knowledge and declare empathy and compassion sin. 
And we still worship gods of supremacy that demand blind obedience and full allegiance, forsaking all others. All of these gods, they entice us with promises of safety and pleasure and meaning if you pay the price that they ask, if you prove yourself worthy, if you perpetually sacrifice and give more and more and more until it consumes your whole life. But that is not our God. Our God, who spoke and made all that is, our God, who scripture says hovered spirit and flame over the formless void and out of nothing called into being all of the cosmos. Our God, who made cosmos and creatures, ants and the Andromeda galaxy, mitochondrial DNA and the Milky Way, whales and woodpeckers and us. Our God, who was complete unto herself, made us not to need us, but made us for the sheer joy of being with us, made us a little lower than the angels, made us by design in the words of the old catechism, made us for the purpose of knowing God and enjoying him forever. Or in the words of one of our modern local saints, Lisa, God made us to hang out with us. God made us for love. And what God asks of us is not pain or sacrifice or misery, but love. And that is so strange when you think about it. It is so strange when you see how astonishingly different the requirements of the gods we make in our own image who require what we think God wants of us. Life with those gods is all about pain and suffering and destruction and threats and requirements. And when you contrast those expectations with the actual revelation of scripture, we see that God made us not for obedience, not to control us, not to test us, certainly not to destroy us. God made us from love for love. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. What God desires is what God is, which is love. It is all God has ever asked of us, and it is all God has ever been toward us. Real and holy love, which is the source of all other love, but because our hearts are so fallen, often feels and appears strange and unfamiliar to us, and we can barely recognize love in its pure form. But really, all of Scripture is a love story. In the garden, God created humans to love. And that holy love included sacred time apart and together, that God would leave them in the garden and return to them to walk with them in the cool of the evening just to spend time with the beloved. 
And when the beloved humans turned away from God, because real love does not control, real love allows choice always, God's response is separation, but not destruction and never abandonment. God loves us, not controls us. And so God gives us the dignity of our choices. When they turned away, God let them. And at that moment of the fall, at that moment, there is a promise from God that the lie that turned us away from God, the lie that separated us from God, that lie, God says, will be crushed beneath my feet. The lie itself, not the liars or the fools who believe it. And all throughout scripture, God's call is be my people. God called our ancestors to be a special people set apart, not instead of all the other people, but for the sake of all the other peoples, to be salt and light and a way back home, a people through whom all the nations would be blessed. And always in scripture, God is speaking love, calling us out of what we are back into what we were created to be. Calling out, calling us out of a life of slavery and enslavement into a life of freedom and belovedness and kinship. Calling us out of war making and neighbor hate to return to the radical root of shalom, interdependence and mutual flourishing, brother, sister, neighbor keeping. And again and again, God sends prophets to cry out against bloodshed, to cry out against also religions made of rules and rituals and symbolic sacrifices. God sends his prophets to cry out against all that is not love and all that pretends to be love. And always they cry out, return to me, return to me, seek my face, but I will never leave you or forsake you. And never once does God ask of us what we fear. Never once does God require of us what we think a God should require. Never once does God require pain or separation or earning or suffering. But we're so sure that that's holy that we offer it anyway. And our God led our father Abram up a hill with Abram's first beloved son, and asked what all the gods we make require. Asked Abram to swear ultimate allegiance and to prove it by sacrificing what he held most dear, his only son. And then God provided a ram to say once and for all to all of us, I am not that. I am a God of life. Life, which is love. And I will never, ever require death. Life can be given for love's sake, but it can never be taken. Life can never be taken when love is your God. So think of all the worst you've ever heard about what God demands of you, what God expects from you. Of how a person must bleed or work or fear or hate or earn or control or self-loathe for God. Notice your own expectations about what God must want or should want from you. 
and then see who God actually is and hear what God actually asks of us, which is love. What God wants for us is love, life with God. And what God wants in return is love freely and authentically given. And that cannot be demanded or required or produced. It can only be given and grown. And knowing that, that what God wants from you is love, freely given, that's how you understand this day and what it means and how we live now that it's come. Human life with God began in a garden when they lived in a circle of love with an intimacy and a connection so holy that it it could include separation and union. God's love flourishes. It does not have to be exclusive. God's love flourishes on non-exclusivity. God says from the beginning, before anything wrong had happened, hey, it's not good for a human to be alone. It's not good for a human to only love me. There must be more love. There must be others to love. So let's make a companion. And notice that from the very beginning, love was not coerced. It was given and received in freedom. And so that love could be shattered by a lie. And God did accept that choice and our move away and our confusion about not knowing who God actually was and believing that there might be something or someone better to love. And ever since we turned away, God has followed us with love, calling one to become the father of many for the sake of all so that we might learn again how to love God that we might once again choose to love God. And we see in the heart of the gospel how God came for love's sake to live among us, to share life with us, to be one with us for the sake of all of us. See how throughout scripture, God refuses again and again to be the God of our worst projections, that God will not live apart and away from us but that God is the cloud that shaded the refugees seeking freedom by day and the pillar of fire that protected and illuminated them at night. A God who asked not for a temple, but for a tent so that God could tabernacle among them. God didn't want to be in a temple high away where you'd have to walk for weeks to get there. God wanted to live in a tent mobile so that where we go, God goes. A God who always, always wanted love and intimacy and connection and relationship and whole life together. A God who said, you don't need a king, I will be your king. And we don't need a temple because you'll all be my priests. But when we refused to give God what God invited us to give, when we demanded a king and a temple and order and structure and separation and distance, God met us where we were. And God entered into the gifts we gave but always, always telling us the truth. Hear, O Israel, no matter how many temples you build and how many kings you have, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And your call is to love God. Love with all your heart, love with all your mind, love with all your soul. And in the fullness of time, Jesus came, God 
living, talking, eating, sleeping, sharing whole life together with his friends. And we get a glimpse of what God has always wanted. Full, whole life with us for love's sake. And when Jesus sat at that table the night before we chose again the gods of power and violence and separation and lust, he refused to leave us or forsake us or hold back from us. Because even though we don't understand God, God understands and accepts us and meets us where we are not where we should be, and meets us in love. And at that table, Jesus said to the 12, it's good for you that I'm leaving. It's good for you that I'm leaving you. Because I will return to the Father and I will send you the Holy Spirit. I am leaving you so that I can come even closer to you. So that instead of being in one room with the people who can fit around one table, my spirit will be poured out as the prophets foretold, not only in the body of Jesus of Nazareth, but my spirit in every body who calls on the name of the Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. This is always and only and ever been about love. And you have to understand that this love is a gift. It is not a requirement or a test. And this Holy Spirit is given so that we might know God and authentically choose to love God. The gift of the Holy Spirit is a gift of greater intimacy and connection. God is giving God's Spirit to you for spiritual union so that you can know the one you choose to love. Because you can't love God until you know God. You can love ideas about God. You can love rituals. You can love a holy agenda. And some of those things can be really beautiful. And some of those things can be gifts from God. But the invitation has always been to love God. It wasn't here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, so believe with all your heart, mind, and soul. It wasn't here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, so work with all your heart and mind and soul. It wasn't even here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, so worship with all your heart and mind and soul. The call is to love. God is making God's own self vulnerable so that we can choose to return God's love. And the Spirit of God is given to you so that you can know God for yourself. And you can love God not because you're supposed to, but because you know God and you authentically and genuinely and freely do. We were made to love God. We were not made to love our religion or our faith, although it's fine if you do, but we were not made to love them instead of God. God does not want our proxy love. God wants to be in direct, intimate relationship with us again as God was in the garden so that we can love as we are loved. 
But you can't love God if you don't know God. And you can't love God if you have no direct contact with God. And so God gives you God's own Holy Spirit so that you can know and choose to love. So in these next five weeks, we're talking about going to spirit school, no tests, but a lot of learning about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, about those gifts you've heard about and that fruit you've heard about and that power you've heard about, but also a lot of unlearning about the lies and unhelpful things we've believed were true. But none of that matters unless you understand the foundational truth that the gift of the Holy Spirit is an invitation and a way to know God so you can love God. So I just want you to see two things before we jump in. The love of God and the Spirit of God is inclusive. It always has been and it always will be. And there is a spirit of elitism that seduces this world and tells us that anything worth having can only be had by some. That anything desirable can only be had by a few. That anything truly holy must be for the elite alone. And that is a lie and a lie and a lie and a lie. God's love is for all God's people. Just as the prophet Joel foretold, the Holy Spirit would be poured out on men and women of all ages and all the ethnicities we call races and all the classes and statuses and different amounts of earthly power. And so if you are in a community that claims to be spirit-led, but only by some for the sake of all, then it's filled by some kind of spirit, but it's not the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is poured out indiscriminately and undeservedly on all of God's people. So if we are in a spirit-filled community, then we will see men and women, young and old, speaking and prophesying and teaching and dreaming dreams and having visions. And that is how we will know that the Spirit of God and not one of the spirits of this Lord, is this world is in this place. And when we are filled by the Holy Spirit, then we we see one another truly for the first time, not by the, through these categories that we separate and rank one another through, but we see one another as humans, all of us, made in God's holy image. And as a community that is filled with the Holy Spirit, we will be known by all of God's people being part of our community, not in a hierarchy ranked but like a family gathered around a table, belonging to one another. And the second thing that we have to know is this. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Jesus, it will be manifested in unity and in humility. So if you or if someone seeking authority over you believes that, hey, the Spirit has given me such gifts that I am set apart over and above others, then that's some kind of spirit, but it is not the Holy Spirit of God. Because the Holy Spirit of God is a spirit of love and intimacy with God, and the more we know God and love God, the more we will be filled with God's love for the people around us. 
So if you are so filled with the Holy Spirit that you have pride or contempt or indifference to those you see as weaker or lesser, then you are filled with some kind of spirit, but it is not the spirit of Jesus. And I don't care what kind of tongues you speak or prophecy or revelation or healing or miracles you work. If you are not known first by your genuine and authentic love for people and your humility, then you can never bless and only curse no matter how powerful your spiritual gifts are. Then what you are is a very holy problem. Paul said a clanging gong, a clashing cymbal. Paul said you can be filled with lots of spirits that look holy but aren't holy. But the spirit of Jesus, Jesus saw his gifting and his power not as an advantage to be exploited or a wall to divide him from us, but Jesus saw his gifts and power as strengths to be leveraged for the sake of the weak, for the sake of the beloved. And the Holy Spirit that was in Jesus, Jesus poured out to build us up. 